When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. Um, We always like to start things off on TPQ20 by saying that, you know, we know who you are, but our audience, uh, some of our audience may be new to you, um, or you may be new to some of them. Uh, so if you were to kind of give, you know, that, um, maybe that bio that your publicist doesn't have, or your, you know, your quick elevator pitch about who you are, um, who are you? (laughs) Well, my name's Destiny O. Birdsong, and I make stuff. Um, most of the stuff I make involves words. I write poetry, fiction, and nonfiction thus far, and more genres to be conquered. I, I often say, um, but you know, it's just time and circumstance will tell. Um, I am deeply interested in exploring what it means to be alive in this particular moment, right? Like as a human, but also as a black person, as a black woman, as a black woman with albinism, as a black woman who survived sexual violence, um, as a black woman who survived the academy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that too. Um, And so that's what most of my work really centers on. And I really love what I do. I love getting to write stuff down. Um, And I'm really grateful to be read. Um, But my real abiding joy is in the time I spend with um, my own thoughts and my own words. So, yeah. Oh, well, that actually is a good segue into this first little question because so your passions obviously revolve around words. Um, It's very obvious that you love what you do. and I even I know it's you know we're in podcast land, but on your face I could just see how much you love uh, you love writing. Um, so, what are those when it comes to those passions though? Um, where do you find your passion for writing? Where do you where do you get that? And when do you really think it started to click that that really was your passion? I think that some of it's circumstantial. You know, I grew up in a really loving family, but in a family where there are lots of silences. And so writing things down for me started off as a way to explore things that I knew I couldn't necessarily ask the adults around me about, right? Mm. So it became a way for me to like have a little a little safe space where I could like try to map some things out in my like, you know, seven, eight, nine-year-old brain. Um, But I also think, interestingly, you know, we inherit stuff. Um, I grew up in a really creative family, you know, just amazing artists and cooks and, you know, um, gardeners, bakers, musicians, like just 
people who could do really amazing things with um, sometimes with very little um, and sometimes with very little training. You know, I have a couple of relatives who can play instruments. Um, just like, um, I think, I can't remember what the, the like hoity-toity term for it is. I think it's like musical savant where like you can just sort of like, you don't okay. have to have any formal training. You just pick it up. Yeah. Um, and I had a great grandmother who um, was a great extemporaneous speaker. And so I think some of it's just in the blood sometimes, you know, and if you cultivate it, you know, it can turn into something interesting. So I think that's where it comes from. Um, and I think it started with me as a kid with a love for imagination. I still daydream. I, I'm a, I've, as long as I can remember, I have been a daydreamer. <laughs> um, that's a good statement. One thing wrong with that. Yeah, no, not at all. I've, I've, I've heard that um, it keeps your brain active. It's actually healthy to do throughout your life. You know, it, like as you age, um, it, it actually sort of keeps parts of your brain sharp. I don't know if that's true, but um, I, I'll, I'll take it. Right. And <laughs> yeah, so I started with daydreaming, but also a deep love for books. You know, I, I used to, I, I would stay up at night and um, sneak my lamp under my cover so I could read and so no one would know I was actually awake and um, started yeah, right it's weird to think we would have gotten in trouble for reading late at night yeah yeah I mean I would have gotten in trouble for being awake late at night and actually my mom caught me once because um, I would take the lampshade off and like stick the lamp under my covers and I ended up burning a hole in my <laughs> mattress. <laughs> it was a perfectly round, I, I still see it because I had these blue, there were these blue and purple sheets at this weird design, it was the eighties. So everything was like mauve, teal, <laughs> lavender. <laughs> I think that were teal and lavender. And there's a little perfect circle like charred at the edges and like the little hole in the mattress. Um, and she figured out that what I was doing was reading and it was it it may be one of only a few times where um, I knew I was going to get in trouble. And I didn't. <laughs> oh, well, that's yeah, she knew what I was doing. Um, and I don't know that she ever I mean, she might have told me to go to bed, but I've I've also been a lifelong night owl. So like I I do my best work in the dark <laughs> so um um and so i i think even if she told me i don't know that i don't know if i actually stopped I just you know. <laughs> but um but yeah it's, it's so it, i think it started with daydreaming and a love for reading and you know i i wrote some things in elementary school but it really wasn't until middle school that i really um started to move toward poetry which is like my first my first literary home, right? So like, it's where I feel the most comfortable. It's where I got the most training, although training is, you know, I mean, it's 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 subjective, you know, um, right. you don't necessarily need it to do what you do, but I was fortunate enough to get it. And that was about the seventh grade um, where I started reading poetry and really liking poetry and feeling like poetry was a place where I could do the things I had been trying to do since I was a really small child, which is just talk about things that felt unspeakable, at least in the world I was living in. So, yeah. Who was the, uh, was there like a poet catalyst for you? Who was that, that first poet where you were like, ooh, this is, this is, this is home? Interestingly, um, 
it, it's, it, I think it was a series of moments, right? Which I think is what life is about. But the sort of light bulb moment for me was actually a cross between a cartoon and <laughs> a, a very old white male poet. <laughs> so, um, so in the seventh grade, I would come home from school and I think the, the, the afternoon lineup was Tiny Toon Adventures, Animaniacs, um, maybe one other thing, and then Batman, the cartoon. Yeah. I love Batman, the dark. I, I didn't know this until I was an adult, but the way it was never like sunny in Gotham. It was always dark and oh. rainy. Um, and it's actually, there's a term for it. For it. It's called dark deco. Um, and so it's really, you know, it's just like this like dark cartoon and like everybody's wearing suits and all the men have really broad chests. You know, it was, it was, it was, yeah, I was into it. Um, <laughs> And so there was an episode where Batman has to save the city from this like escaped group of beings that kind of initially lived on this island. It was it's kind of like Dr. Moreau-esque, you know, like okay. there were these like half man, half beast creatures who lived on the island and they got loose. And one of them was a half panther, half man. And I don't remember his name, but he was like bad, but Batman had some sympathy for him, but he still was really bad. And so throughout the episode, Batman kept quoting what I didn't know at the time was um, The Tiger by William Blake. He kept quoting the first four lines, tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, I think. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching that episode and then immediately writing a poem. And the way I felt when I wrote that poem, it was a terrible poem, it was, it was called I Am the Fire. <laughs> I think I still have it somewhere. Um, but the way I felt when I wrote that poem, I, I, I had never felt that way before in my life. And I knew that I wanted to do that again. Whatever chemistry was happening in that moment, um, I wanted to feel it again. And that for me was sort of like the, like that was the moment. But, you know, I also had moments throughout middle and high school. I would always go to the poetry section of my textbooks, my English textbooks and kind of read, you know, so there was lots of Shakespeare. I mean, there are lots of white guys really, you know, there's lots of Shakespeare and Gerard Manley Hopkins and um, uh, Wilfred Owen and, yeah, so many of those poems had, you know, created similar moments for me. And I still go back to them sometimes. Like for some reason, one of the poems I remember reading is Robert Browning's The Last Duchess. Yes, right? Last Duchess on the Wall. I yeah, yeah I used to yeah. I had Looking to as if she were poems, alive. I had to I was I had to memorize it for a for a mm. sophomore English class in college. Yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just like I still think about that poem sometimes. You know, it's wild. Um, and so the lines will like pop into my head at random moments. Oh, that's <laughs> and, evil, evil poem. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. But I've been thinking about, um, I've been thinking about what might happen if the Duchess got revenge. Ooh. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually. Um, and so, I, I mean, it is, it's, it's it, well, deeply problematic, misogynistic, <laughs> all, all of the things. Yes, um, yes, yes. 
Um, but yeah, so there were many moments like that for me, reading Dulce et Decorum Est by Wilfred Owen um, and learning. I don't know if this is true, but my textbook said that he actually died two weeks after the armistice because it took so long for the news to carry in the field. And so he was still with the unit that believed they were they were still supposed to be fighting. Um, and so like just the, the deep irony of that and like yeah. and like reading his work and how beautifully he wrote about just the sheer terror of being at war, you know. Um, I, I wish, you know, I, I, I wish those were poems that we turned to more often publicly, right? And like had more conversations about. Um, I don't necessarily it's know so, if that would help it's everybody. So, yeah, like I have, I mean, I have, um, my the focus of my creative writing major was 16th to 18th century British poetry. So like there was something about, and I think really it was like, it was like the idea of all of these, um, you know, preachers who left the church because mm -hmm. they had all these questions and they couldn't ask them where they were. So they turned to poetry to mm -hmm. kind of try and get out the answers that, that they couldn't find inside them in the first place. And I just felt it was such a, a beautiful time. And I, I love the fact that it feels like kind of that time again, a little bit, mm. there's a resurgence of, of people who just have kind of come out of their own skin and are asking all these questions. And it's kind of a nice, it's kind of a cool, a cool world of poetry right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's a wonderful time to be a reader and a writer. I think they're really wonderful conversations happening. Um, again, I wish that those conversations, I wish that there were more people interested in having them and like the 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 space could get wider. But yeah, I think I think that. There's so many people doing the work of, yeah, doing the work of, of questioning what it means to be alive and what it means to be part of a global community, um, what it means to be oneself. Like, yes, yes to all of that. So as somebody who writes in different spaces, um, what is kind of your process for writing? So are you somebody who has a lot of superstitions? Do you need to light, you know, 14 candles around the room and have incense burning in the background? Or are you someone who, as you've kind of alluded to, you kind of write when it hits you, you kind of write when you're kind of on your, you know, on your own. Um, but is there a process to that? And is it different from, uh, if it diff is it different with different genres? So, I, several years ago, I was a terrible internal editor. So my general rule is that if an idea comes, I write it. If I am physically able to like put it somewhere in my notes app, on my laptop, on a piece of paper, I write it down. So in that sense, I don't necessarily need anything except the spark. Um, but I do also, when I'm working on things, I will, set aside time during the day to write. So like when I was writing my novel, I would block out about four hours of the day because I someone once told me that um, you get about four good hours of writing time per day. And then after that, you can still work, but the quality of the work goes down because your brain has sort of hit its capacity of that like really intense intellectual work. Um, and I don't know if that's true, but, and I don't know if it was true before they said it to me, but after they said it, I was like, yeah, four hours. <laughs> so 
Um, so I would sort of divide that time between projects. Um, so there are times when it's very regimented when I'm working on something, I do try to sort of create a space where I can do that. And it usually involves um, being very warm. So there's like lots of like blankets around my house. I have um, these booties that are rice filled that I can like throw in the microwave and like heat up. So yeah, that and tea um, and water and silence because I can't work. I don't do like coffee shops and stuff like that. I, oh my gosh, no, I need silence. <laughs> um, yeah, is that, does that include music as well? That it yeah. needs to be pure Yeah, um, pure silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my mind starts to want, wander. And if it's music that I really like, my mind starts to wander. And no, yeah, it has to be, has to be utter silence. Um, and so, yeah, that's the general environment. Um, I, I've, over the past few years, I've also been thinking about like, living in a space that feels conducive to writing to me. And that means, that can mean different things for different people. And it, I think it can mean different things for me at different stages of my career or different stages of my life or whatever. Um, but it often means like being surrounded by things that bring me joy. Um, you know, um, I like bright colors. I love lots of light. So like lots of sunlight. Um, I need to feel like I'm, I'm, I am, I have access to the world, even if I am not out in it. So I like to sort of be able to look outside and things like that. Um, and yeah, so, so yeah, I guess if those are rituals, that, that, that would be it. And I don't, it doesn't necessarily differ between genres for me. It might on like a micro level, but like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily compartmentalize them in that way. Um, you could yeah. have a poem that turns into a novel or you could have an idea for a novel that turns into a poem. Um, yeah, I, I will say that, well, you know, I've only done <laughs> those twice, right. <laughs> right? So I have one book in each genre. So, um, and both times, at least this time around, I had a sense that the prose was gonna be prose and the poetry was gonna be poetry, right? Um, but they do talk to each other across, you know, yeah, they, they absolutely do. Like, I didn't realize it until actually only a couple of months ago, and the book has been out for a few months, but um, the first, uh, the first part of the novel is written in AAVE, and there's a poem in negotiations where some of that language is similarly used um, in the poem Pandemic, and I was like, oh, it's like I was practicing for Right, I was practicing to do it on a larger scale. I mean, the poem is a little long as it is, um, not too long, but I mean, it's 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 multiple <laughs> it's multiple pages, but um, but like right, I, it's like I it was like a a trial, right, for for ultimately writing this much longer piece of prose um, in a similar fashion. So in that way, yeah, they definitely talk to each other, but um, I'm usually pretty sure what's what when I start out, yeah. Um, so you've been doing this obviously for a very long time, this whole writing thing. Um, we have a lot of people who talk about getting into like imposter syndrome or you know the, the general writer's block that goes on once in a while or anxiety that takes over. What do you think have been your, you know, your pitfalls over the course of your, of your writing career? Um, and how have you, if you have um, gotten past them and what have you learned from that? Mm -hmm. 
Hi. I don't often think about writer's block for a couple of reasons. Um, and the first one I think is gonna sound like a pity party, but it's not, it's actually a good thing. So the first reason is that I was writing for a long time and no one was necessarily interested in a book for me, right? I mean, aside from like my friends <laughs> and, and maybe uh, the 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 five people who, who'd like read poems and liked them, right? So like, I was, doing that work before people started looking for things. And I think for me, that that's that's sort of where the pressure comes in, right? It's like, there's something expected, but it's not coming. Um, and so I, I just have a backlog of work. So I don't ever feel like I'm at a loss for anything, right? Um, but at the same time, I also value the importance of being able to write um outside of a deadline or or things like that you know I did struggle for a while with um not having a book because all of my friends had books you know um and also the presumption is that your MFA thesis is your first book and you publish that by the time you're 25 and if you haven't you know good, good grief. What are you doing with your life? And that's not what happened for me at all. Like I published my first book at 38. So um, in some circles, I was way behind schedule, but I think that timing is divine. And I think that that goes, that's true in a larger sense, right? That like when it's your time, it's your time, but it's also true on a micro level, right? I don't ever want to force out work because right. for me, yeah, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, the quality goes down when it feels forced, when it feels like I am just trying to scrape together enough to meet this word count or meet this deadline. And so um, I generally try to avoid projects or lines of thought that put me in that space because that's a dangerous space for me to be in. Um, but I did struggle with not having what I felt like I should have, right? Or, or I guess what I felt like, I not that I should have, but what I felt like I needed to have in order to be a real capital W writer, right? right. I needed a book. <laughs> um, writers have books. Um, that that was sort of the, the, the conditioning that, you know, I'd received and it's like not it's not useful it's not it's not healthy because I don't ever want to go back to a book and say I wish I hadn't published that or I wish I had done that some other way and the journey to get to the point where you can say in the face of even people who don't like what you do like I respect your opinion but I wrote the best book I could like that, that takes time. And I mean, time to build up the skills to be able to do what you want to do. Right. But also just time to process all of the stuff that we often get, you know, from the outside world about what it means to be a writer and what it means to be, to be um, professionalizing and what it means to have arrived. Like it, it takes so much work to get rid of that stuff. And so in that sense, time was my friend. I didn't always feel that way but it was, and it continues to be because I try to stay mindful of that, right? That I have to get to a point where I'm ready to publish this work. And it's not necessarily about who 
who else wants it, needs it, is looking for it. And it's really important to work with people who treat you that way and not like a workhorse. Oh, I love that. I think that's, I, I like, I really like the way you said that because it's, yeah, you need those people who give you that confidence. It's not just the accountability partners. It's mm -hmm. the people who really believe in what you're doing enough to tell you exactly, you know, to, to not have the filters around it and to tell you mm -hmm. that you can have confidence in what you're doing and mean yeah. it. No gaslighting yeah. involved in it. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so as we move toward the end, what are the things that you are kind of, you know, really excited to see coming out in the world from other writers? Uh, what's out? And then what, uh, what is out there that we can find for you? Ooh, what am I looking forward to? I, this is out yet. I haven't read it, but um, where's on Shire's do book? I'm really excited about that. Um, what else? I feel like whenever I'm asked this question, I can't think of an answer. And then when I when I when I log off, like 15 things come to me. <laughs> right now, I'll I'll tell you what I'm what what's on my TBR, what's in my TBR pile. Um yeah. uh there's a writer whose name is Toya Wolf, I believe. Um, okay. and she has a book called Last Summer on State Street which is coming out in June. I'm reading that. I'm reading um, Kali Fajardo Anstein's Woman of Light. Um, I'm really excited about that. Uh, also in the middle of Time as a Mother, Ocean Vong. I was gonna say, um, I, knew that, I knew that title. I couldn't remember, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think I'm excited about the things I'm reading right now, or, right. you know, we'll, we'll start reading in the immediate future because I am a bit of a procrastinator, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then what can we find on the shelves from you? So I have two books in the world. One of them is called Negotiations. It's a collection of poetry published by Tin House in October of 2020. And the second book just came out on February 8th of 2022. It's called Nobody's Magic. It's a triptych novel and it was published by Grand Central Publishing. So those two things. Um, I've also written a few essays um, in Catapult, the Paris Review, Poets and Writers, uh, Lit Hub, Oh, goodness. Um, the Cincinnati Review, there's a really interesting one coming out about representations of Black women with albinism in crime t on crime TV. Cool. I'm really yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think it's pretty good. Um, oh, there's an anthology coming out in June called Body Language. It's from Catapult. And I have an essay in there called Surviving Care in Medicine about um, my journey with chronic illness and healthcare providers who weren't as um, competent as they should have been. So, yeah, uh, so that's Courtney, my, my co-host and co-EIC uh, has a traumatic brain injury. And so mm -hmm. we, uh, we definitely understand the, um, the interesting world of, the, of medicine and doctors and people who do not listen to anything. Yeah, um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's a it's a weird it's a weird world these last few years of, of kind of navigating the the um, infrastructure of medicine. It's um, wild, right? Yeah, you have these presumptions about it before you enter it, and then you're in it, and you're like, I wouldn't expect any of this to happen. Like, no. never thought I'd encounter a nurse who didn't know how to draw blood. Wow. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. thank you so very much for hanging out on TPQ20 today. It's an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Um, I'm so excited to let people know what you have out there in the world and see what's coming out in the future from you. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a rest, a wonderful rest of the evening. Thanks. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.